Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by Tiffany Hammond, who is here to give us tips for supporting, celebrating, and advocating for people with autism, whether that be our kids, ourselves, or others in our circles. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here, but before we get started, I want to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. Tiffany Hammond is the voice behind the Fidgets and Fries platform. She is an autistic mother, advocate, and storyteller, and she uses her personal experiences with autism and those of her two autistic sons to guide others on their journeys. Tiffany has a master's degree in developmental psychology and spends her time teaching, coaching, and mentoring others in disability justice issues. Her activism is rooted in challenging the current perception of autism as a lifelong burden, cultivating a community that explores the concept of intersectionality and inspiring thought leaders through storytelling, education, and critical discourse. Tiffany was born and raised in Texas and grew up on deep dish pie and stories from her grandmother. Tiffany, I want to start today with this beautiful challenge of the current perception of autism. What does it look like for us as a society to move from thinking about autism as a burden and instead normalize leading with the benefits and beauty of neurodivergent thinkers? I think that this means that it's more opportunity for us and those like us. Right now, it's just, it feels like autism is just this set amount of symptoms and characteristics and um, expectations and stereotypes and misconceptions and all of these different things. And a lot of it is limiting. It um it puts those with this diagnosis into a box and it labels it as you can only do this much. And not that many people around you are willing to help you be the best version of yourself that you want to be. Right. So you're just kind of like going through life with all of these, these, these ropes and these lines and these tethers telling you this is who you are, and this is what you can do. You know, you can't go and do this because, you know, this is what it says autism is. And it says that, you know, you don't like to talk or you are not good at social things, or you have, you know, or you're some type of savant. So you must know these things or you must you know you know so it's just like a lot of different stereotypes and expectations or lack of expectations for some because you know, a lot of people do not feel that my my oldest who is non-speaking is is competent enough to know what's going on around him and so they don't expect much from him including teachers, including therapists, including all kinds of people who are supposed to be working with him to, you know, help him navigate this world. They put these, these walls up around him and they don't help him to move beyond these, these barriers because 
they don't think he can. And that's how it is for a lot of uh, people with this diagnosis or there's people that are, you know, like myself and my youngest and they're like, well, we're all a bit quirky, you know? And then they, they deny any of the other challenges and things that we do have. And then that causes us to internalize a lot of things and that leads to depression, to anxiety, and to um, feeling like, you know, you're worthless and you don't belong and you don't, you know, and then that you know, trickles into every other part of your life. And a lot of us don't leave the house. And a lot of us don't work. And then a lot of us don't, you know, so you need, you know, you don't have friends and, you know, and there's studies out there. So you, you know, we need people. We need, we need close relationships with others so that we feel, you know, good and happy and, and safe and protected and, and loved. And a lot of us don't have that. And I am trying to, with my platform and, and my writings and everything I'm doing, I'm trying to challenge what people perceive autism to be. And it doesn't have to be something that's like limiting. It doesn't have to be something that is um this burden even with all the challenges that we may have even with all the challenges that my oldest might have many consider to be severe and um even with all of that he's so much more and he's growing and learning and, and all humans are lifelong learners and we never stop no matter who you are you just need people to believe you need people that you have to have those um, accommodations and those services and those things that can, you know, help us access the things that other people can access with ease. And that's what I'm trying to do is just you know, point that out and say, hey, there's a lot that we all have to offer and all beautiful humans and we all um, learn and we all grow and we all evolve and we all, you know, and we, some of us just need different things and different ways of helping us navigate this world and that's me trying to challenge people to think about that more and know that more and put a mirror up because every single one of us if we have the absolute pleasure and privilege of living to be a long old beautiful age we will know disability in some way I don't know why people want to distance themselves, but we will know we will get older, our brains will change, we'll get slower, we'll get, you know, our eyesight will get weaker, and, you know, and, you know, we're going to know, we're all going to know disability, you know, and society tries to distance themselves, and I'm trying to say it's okay, <laughs> you know, so it's okay, Just, you know, we are, we're interdependent society, interdependent species. And we, we thrive and we survive with each other all the time. It's always been that way. Yeah, it's only just kind of been like recently, oh my God, we need to be more independent. We need to be more independent, but people aren't independent. They're interdependent. You all rely on each other to make everything work. And so that's just kind of what I'm trying to do with my platform is just put up all these little mirrors, face this, face this, face this. And try to challenge what people think about you know not only just disability but just like life in general and, and how they navigate yeah one of the takeaways that I have had from your platform is 
and like society forces people to fit in a box that, you know, we, whether it's somebody with autism or ADHD or anxiety, whatever it is, we have society forcing people into a box and, and you are saying, how about society conforms to people who need extra accommodations or how about we as a society change ourselves instead of forcing people to change for society. And I just think that is such a refreshing perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird. It's just like, it's, it's so weird about humans. You like to like categorize things, you have to put things in little boxes and stuff and, and label them and, 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 well, you know, all labels and things aren't bad. It's how we try and make sense of the world. It's just what it is. But a lot of times it doesn't actually help us to make sense of the world. So it's just like, we're all these different things. We're never just one thing. You know, you're, you're multiple things. You carry multiple identities and they all influence each other. And they all build on each other and they all, you know, interact with one another. And they, you know, they come together and they just create these new and unique and complex experiences when they're together. And I think that, especially when you come online or like online advocacy or anything like that, I think a lot of people kind of tend to forget that. You forget, you almost forget that you're all these other things because you're trying to be just this one thing and you're trying to address this one thing. And I'm like, I was that way too. When I came online, I was like, oh, I just want to stick with, you know, connecting with other autism parents. And, but I couldn't fully connect with them. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to still connect with other autistic adults. I didn't fully connect with them, but I was chopping off one part of myself to belong to another group and it was not serving me well at all and it wasn't serving my children at all and I was missing large chunks of myself I was neglecting the nuances of my situations and my circumstances and I wasn't giving much weight to the history and context that I have in life and I'm just here to remind people that like every single time like boom you're whole live whole and I need to know that and that's kind of hard to do in a social media space where everything is like easily digestible content and you're like okay so it's like how am I me who does not want to produce easily digestible content how am I going to survive this space and yeah it took me a little bit to a little bit to figure out how to do it <laughs> you know I think I, I think I, I got it because I didn't want to be like, this is, you know, three slides and, and some cartoons and a few words, and then that you were supposed to, you were supposed to get it. You're supposed to understand like the whole of my life. No, if I have to write a book, I'm gonna have to figure out how to put it on there and maybe talk to it. And I think I figured it out. <laughs> so I just like I just want to remind people that you are more than this one piece of yourself and my community is super amazing and super beautiful and super wonderful and they go out and they spread that and like I see that it going like other places yeah but what about this and what about you know this type of uh situation and some people can't access this and you know there's a lot of privilege in the things that you're saying and this family can't get to this or we live in areas where there's literally no resources. How do we access this? How do we, so I can see that and they're going out and challenging all these other um, advocates on the things that they're putting out. 
okay, that's fine and all, but what about these people who can't access this? What about this person who can't afford this? What about this person who lives over here? What about, you know, I'm just trying to like, you know, thinking about every part of who you are and every part of who someone else is and how best you can address the things that they tell you that they they tell you that they struggle. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do on my platform. I challenge people in every way that I can. <laughs> like in every single way that I can, I want to throw everything I can at you. I want to see how much you can hold. And and and, and that's the thing. I want to push you to the edge of your comfort and give you enough information and tools that I can for you to just make the decision to knock yourself over the, the line that you want. I'm gonna push you over, I'm gonna drag you to the edge do it yourself let you choose to do it yourself you know it's like you know that that's like kind of what i'm trying to do just trying to change change some things as i can yeah and you are absolutely um one of the other key things i have heard you talk about in previous interviews is when you're working on your master's degree it became very apparent to you that there's not a lot of inclusion of black and brown people in autism research, which has a lot of effects from their rates of diagnoses and treatment. It affects stigma around autism in black and brown communities and serves to perpetuate systemic racism in healthcare in general. So you're a change maker. What does real change look like here? And how do you hope that sharing your story is inspiring others in the parent community to help incite that change? I think that first of all, real change won't really happen until we, as a community, can understand exactly what it means to listen to someone. Yeah, I don't know what listening means. And that's like the, one of the biggest things that we see in community. Listen to all these people, listen to this, listen to that, listen to that. But a lot of people don't actually mean listen. They mean conform to my authority because I hold this identity that you do not. And so therefore I know things that you do not and I am. And you know, so you're sitting there and I'm like, man. And then as the parent in me to see someone feel as though they share an identity either with myself or with my children but they feel like that grants them automatic access to my children because of that you know they take me back back, turns me off and I'm like we have to get more familiar with the terminology that is surrounding this work and what we're doing and I think that we have to know what listening really is because you can't change the world if you're not doing what it is the people you are trying to help actually want you to do or actually need you to do (laughs) and so that's that's kind of like the thing that I run into advocacy is a lot of people push off self-advocacy as advocacy for the whole it's like yeah these are things that you need these are things that I do and so trying to get them to understand that is one of the biggest challenges is because we have to know that change does not come from the top down it doesn't trickle down and that's what i was running into first starting online or in advocacy 
in general, it was, I'm telling you my story, I'm telling you what we need, I'm telling you the specific problems that I am having as a disabled mom of Black women, of raising Black children who have disabilities. And I'm telling you all the different things that we face and stuff. And I'm being told, okay, but we'll get to that later. We just need to fold everything in together as a, a group. Let's look at all the things that's like kind of affecting all of us in the same way. And I'm like, but not just autistic, right? And so that was like, we have to find a way to use all the talents and the skills and the privileges that we have and, and use that to help those who are multiply marginalized and need the most help. And you help those, those that have all of these complex intersections that, you know, come together and create these really, really complex experiences. You help them, you're helping yourself, you know, and that is where I believe that real changes come from. It doesn't come from listening to those who are as close to the epitome of privilege that we have, especially in America. You know, we gotta help those who have all of the different marginalized identities that mix together this big pot. And I think that's that's how we get real change, real meaningful, real meaningful, tangible change to occur is if we are working to help those who are the most marginalized within our communities. And then we're actually listening to them. And we're actually seeing this that they they need from us, what they require from us. Um, and we're using all everything that we can at our disposal to help them get that. And there's like no way on this earth that us helping them is not gonna help us in any way. And that's what I'm trying to to also, you know, put out there. Because a lot of times you sit there and you tell your story, and I tell mine, and some they feel like me telling my story is somehow denying theirs. And I know, I'm saying, you don't struggle. I'm injecting mine as well, because we haven't had the opportunity or the space to tell you what it is that is bothering us, that hurts us, that um, keeps us at a disadvantage. We've always had to navigate this world and our advocacy under you guys. <laughs> you know, so it's like now we're finally having the, the the space and the opportunity to share what it is that we have going on, share our short stories, and um for several people that upsets them, <laughs> you know, you know, and but I do think that changes if we focus on our most marginalized within our communities and we learn to listen and we familiarize ourselves with terminology that's surrounding all of this work and we use it in a way that um, it's intended to be used because a lot of times we're turning things to, to, to buzzwords. I don't even use intersectionality as more <laughs> like when I first was using it, when I first started social media talking about it, I was like didn't see it that much. It was like a few people, me and then, but now it's just kind of like balloon into this thing and you just see it everywhere. And you see it from people who aren't even describing 
oppressed identities that intersect. They're describing a, a, an identity of privilege with an identity that's not privileged. And I'm like, that's not what intersectionality is. But, you know, but it's just, that's the thing. Um, working with marginalized, the most marginalized people in their community, seeing what it is that they need um, and helping them to acquire what it is that they need. Appropriately listening to everyone. You don't have to do what they say. You don't have to to agree with what they say or any of that. But your listening is taking a deep consideration of what it is they have to say, and and you can either apply it to your life or you can pass it on to someone else who you feel could use this information, um, or you could actually choose to listen to them with. You should always listen to someone with regard to this, what they're telling you that they need. <laughs> I don't even listen to someone who's telling you what you need. <laughs> you know, but if they're sitting there and they're telling you this is what this community needs, um, this is what we need help with, definitely, definitely as an advocate or someone who wants to help who's an accomplice or describe themselves as an ally, help them to acquire what it is they need. And I think that's how change is going to happen. Change is going to occur that way. We really, really need. <laughs> like, really so powerful. It sounds so simple, listening with intention. Um, but you are absolutely right. That's such a good reminder for me of how powerful it is when we listen to understand, when we get curious instead of getting defensive, and when we actually move on what someone is telling us they need and not what we think they need. Correct. That's the big. That's the big. That's the biggest things, is and especially if you if you are, because a lot of people come online and and they're not coming online to be, to 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 be seen as advocates. They're just coming on here to learn, share pictures, you know, do whatever. Um, but this is a split. I feel like everybody should be. Um, but they are coming out here to learn from advocates. When people are saying they're advocates, and if you are branding yourself as an advocate. An advocate beyond yourself and for others, then you do have to like um, a good portion of your work is literally listening. <laughs> like you're literally listening to everybody. So you're literally trying to see what it is that they need. And, and I don't mean just like this community has an issue with listening to those who are not white, right? Like it could be it could be autistic, it could be the parent, it could be the researcher, it could be the therapist, whatever. Because you sit there and you see these posts and they're like, well, majority of autistics feel this way, majority of them feel this way, and majority of this, majority of that. And then we're sitting back, you know, other black autistic people, other indigenous autistic, we're just sitting there like, who polled us? Mm. Who included us in the studies? Who did these things and we're like we weren't included in any of those things we weren't included in the vote that said most autistics feel this way we weren't included in any of the studies conducted that said any of this and majority of those diagnosed with autism around the world do not have social media <laughs> you know so where are we getting numbers from where are we getting these thoughts from where are we getting these things so it's 
if you're coming into this and you're like building your advocacy and your platform on what the majority of any group feels like, whether it's a parent, whether it's researchers, whether it's anything like that, you gotta figure out what the population was. <laughs> like, what's the sample? What's the group that was talked about when it's like, because I guarantee you a lot of it does not include BIPOC representation. Most of it does not um, at all. A lot of it does not include uh, non-speakers. Um, it doesn't, a lot of them do not include those who have um, comorbid diagnoses such as intellectual disability. Um, so it's like, advocacy is hard. And I keep trying to tell people that. So I get messages and stuff and they're like, how can people do this? I'm like, it is so hard. And I'm so happy that so many people do it. And I'm like, it's so hard. It is so hard because if you're doing it and you're doing it right, doing it well, you're trying to everybody. You're trying to think about everybody and you are thinking triple times, quadruple times, infinity times before you say anything that says majority feels. Or like you are literally trying to address and help all of these different people all these different things, all these different situations and trying to do it in a way that can help a lot of people. And, and that's hard. Advocacy is hard. <laughs> like, it's so hard. And I keep trying to tell you, like, y'all, sure. <laughs> you, know? you know, like, it is so hard. And, but there are a lot of people who come onto social media and they want to learn. And they want to, not to be full-blown advocates, like myself but how can they help in what way can they help is there something they can do can they write letters can they call someone can they well you know organize a march can they can they you know do a, a sit-in can they do a walk out can they do a, a whatever you know they want to help and they want to know the best ways that they can help and they want to learn and they want to um be better informed humans and that's a beautiful thing and we just need to be able to to tap into that that desire and that hunger that they have, you know, point them in the right direction. Give them things that calls to action. Give them things that they can do and that they can um, share, you know, with their communities. They can, you know, put out there and stuff. But yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard, and it's hard. It's hard as a parent first. I mean, before you were even doing this work on a large scale, large scale advocacy work. Um, so let's talk about our parent listeners who have concerns that they have a child showing signs of autism. Talk us through how important is early diagnosis and how can parents best advocate for their children along this journey that can be very exhausting. It's incredibly exhausting. And um early early diagnosis is important. You know, just knowing and um having you know that time to 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 put together, you know, a a course of action and a plan to 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 help you and your child. Um it's definitely important because the most resources and most accommodations and most services and most anything that you are going to get 
for your child and for yourself to help your child, that ends at age 22. And the bulk of it ends at 18. Uh, you know, so it's like, it's incredibly important to get those diagnoses early if you can, um, or if you're able to. A lot of people are in areas where that's possible. Um, they diagnose, you know, uh, BIPOC children at lesser rates than white children. So that is a barrier and obstacle um, there. But your child will receive the most services that they will ever get in their childhood. And that includes speech and that includes OT and that includes, uh, get, get, well, I'll say medical is different than school. You know, they don't always go by, you know, the, the, okay, here you are, you know, they got your medical clinical diagnosis. So we're going to automatically give your child an IEP and put them, you know, they don't actually do that. They try to do their own assessments and stuff, but it does help to have it, but they, schools do, they don't think schools are rough. <laughs> um, but, and it's an exhaustive journey for both parent and child. Um, you're trying to figure out what you can do. You get hit with that, that diagnosis and you're like, your head is spinning. You're like, oh man, what is going on? You don't know what to do. And both, both my children were diagnosed with, you know, like, cried. You know, it was just like, oh, my God, what did I do? And I blame myself. And then they give you a stack of papers. And that's like, that includes, you know, the, the, the assessment and everything. But in the back, it was like, here's your list of resources you can do. All these books you can read, all these organizations you can sign up. Make sure you get on the waiver list for um, uh, gov government programs. Um, so when they turn 18 or something get on that, you know, you're just like looking at it. Now you're online getting, you know, when they were diagnosed, they gave us the, the link for um, Autism Speaks uh, 100 Day Kid or something. And so you're like, you're just looking at everything. You're like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And it's so much. It's like all at once. And you're like, what do I do? How do I do this? Where do I go? And it's, it's, it's so it's so much. And what's so interesting is that your child didn't change. The child is the same before the diagnosis till after the diagnosis. You're just like, <laughs> you're freaking out. And, but that's the same. You just know a diagnosis and you know how to help. And you can start that day. You can start the next day or you can what I would advise. Take like a week if you can. Of not thinking about it at all, put the patient paper aside, put it away, don't put it, don't throw it away, throw it away. Go put it, you know, put it in a drawer and, and just enjoy your child, enjoy yourself, and think about you can think about what that diagnosis means to you, family, and everything else, but take some time. Just mm -hmm. there, it's you know, you know, breathe, um, and then get into it coming to it with a clearer head and, and, you know, face that together, have a conversation with your family and 
whoever you want to know to know um but just enjoy your childhood play go to a park good weekend trip somewhere go do do something that's gonna make you happy have fun and then you can get into all of that but i will say that if you suspect that your child may have autism or is autistic definitely don't wait don't 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 wait i think that was what i did with my youngest they was like I suspected he was like three. You know, like, oh, let's just wait, see, let's wait, see. And then I waited three years. So I don't, don't wait at all. Oh, get them evaluated and trust your gut. Do not wait and see. A lot of people just like to do that. Don't wait and see, especially with the ones who are verbal or, you know, you know, let's just wait and see. Oh, they're just shy. You just need to get out more, be around more kids. You just need to talk a little bit more. And they need to, but you know, in your gut, because you're around it. You're around your child. You're that doctor or that um, clinical psychologist or whoever you're going to, they know your child for like a fraction of what you do. So you, you trust your gut, you trust your instinct, you go to as many as you can um, to look at if you have to. But trust yourself. Y'all know more than, we know more than you think we do. You know, so it's trust your gut. If you feel like they need to be assessed, definitely do that. Do not wait at all. Go and get them evaluated and help them to access any uh services and things that they need. And because you, you need that diagnosis to open those services up. So you can't go into getting into to anything like, you know, speech or Oh, yeah, your insurance probably won't like you gotta go in. You need the diagnosis. Um, and that's gonna open up a lot of of, of resources and, and uh therapy for your child should they need that. Um you need that diagnosis. <laughs> like so it's definitely important that you get it as early as you can, especially in the states where a lot of stuff is tied with having diagnosis. Even a lot of um, extracurricular activities it's like outside of school or, you know, ran by the city that, you know, you feel like your child would be good with. And you're like, oh, okay, this is the, even they sometimes require you to have an actual formal diagnosis so you can join and participate into those things. So it's definitely important to get that diagnosis, you know, as early as you can so that you can open your, your yourself up and your family up to receiving the help that your your child will need. Yeah, so helpful. Um, and such incredible perspective, Tiffany. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about a fabulous new resource, which is your new children's book, A Day With No Words, inspired mm -hmm. by your oldest son and illustrated by Kate Cosgrove. Tell us about your inspiration for the book, how you hope it serves to normalize nonverbal communication and where our listeners can get a copy. That's so wild. It's um the book, oh, it's weird. It has such the weirdest origin story. But I like I was telling you before we got on, it's like I was not in front of children. Like I was like, is anybody like been on my platform for like however many long as I'm like, I talk about heavy stuff, hard stuff. 
all kinds of stuff. And occasionally I miss my family. And but I was being approached by editors and other people with posting houses and agents and all this other stuff. And they were like, hey, hey, mm-hmm. you should write a children's book. I'm like, what in my platform gives you children's book vibes? <laughs> and so I just I was like, aside from me being a parent, I didn't see myself doing children's books. Um but I made a post today and I was just talking about our family's no talk days. And these are just the days that we um we model more for our son and for Jojo, his brother. Um <laughs> we model more for eight and we just don't speak and we just kind of go about the day using our own tablets and all things. Um and we even do it with each other. So like here that speak at all and we do that in the community and everything I wrote about that I wrote about our experiences how that looks and how the the community treats us how we feel when we do this and how we feel Aiden feels us helping him and doing this for him and that post was like cool like I was like whoa people like that that's cool and I was like this will know move on you think about it then I got approached by another editor <laughs> and they were like, hey, you write your children's book. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yeah. And then I was like, okay, let me listen. Let me listen. And she suggested I write a children's book based on that post. And I was like, hmm, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, so after kind of going like back and forth and the things that I had and liked, in the end, we did not mesh well but that was the longest time that I spent thinking about and actually trying to write a children's book so now I was stuck in my head that stuff it was there um and this was around the time that I was noticing a lot more that I wasn't seeing accurate representation of my son within this community and how he presents it the things that he needs and, and and I wasn't really like seeing I was like, man but then I go outside same thing you know all the comments we get all the stares we get all this and might be on to something with this book and so I was like I have to finish this book I have to see it through in some way and so I was gonna do it self-published I know I didn't even have it written but I knew I wanted to write it and I was going backwards with it. I didn't have the words for it yet fully. And I was like, it made a call for illustrators and stuff because I just wanted to see how much it cost me and all these other things. So I made a post about illustrators. And shortly after that, my current publisher was publishing this book. And she reached out to me and said, hey, we should have a conversation. And I said, cool, let's talk. And so we talked and we talked about the book. And I pitched this book the ideas didn't have the actual story yet pitch it to her pitched how important I felt the book was and what I could do with it and how important it was to me to like put this out and she was like let's do it and so here we are with it (laughs) and I what I wanted this book to do was I wanted it I wanted to normalize communication outside of speech i wanted to highlight that those who do not speak from their mouths have so much to say and they're just as worthy and they're just as beautiful and they're just as competent just as 
everything, you know, everything. But I also wanted to point out that we all communicate non-verbally, literally. Like they're reading this book. I'm sure a lot of them read it to themselves. And that's what that's me. That's my message to you guys. I didn't even have to tell me. You just read it. That's my letter to you. And you got the message. You you read the message. You heard the message. You know, they you text each other, you send emojis, you you wave, you know, you, you know, you you like something, you smile big you know it's just like and, and people understand what it is that you're saying without you saying it. so I also wanted to challenge people in that way so even with the title it was like they with no words and I'm like all right what do you think about the title I mean if you finish this book what do you think about the title now because we did nothing but use words it's a whole book you know <laughs> like it's an entire book but it was inspired by a lot of things that people's comments say, that comments say, that people say to us when they learn the best how to speak. They're like, does he not know words? Does he know words? Does he understand? Does he? I'm like, he knows words, he just don't speak them. And that is the beauty of that title. Cause I want, it's like challenging you to think about what that means. So you could be like, oh my gosh, there's a, you know, we are using words. We use a lot of words. You know, we just, they're on a tablet that has pictures. You push it and it, it talks. And then in certain instances, I was typing on the tablet and it, you know, talked for me. And it's, I wanted to show that he was just as valid as everyone. And I wanted people to, to see that. And also look at a boy who loved life. And he loved a lot of the same things other kids do, you know, and he loved to go to the park, loved swings, he loved spinning in grass and no shoes on, and, you know, and he loves fries, and all these things, and he just doesn't speak, you know, he understands, you know, and I wanted to show, like, the, the, the bond that, you know, I had with my son, how important he was to me that I was going to do these days and put up with these people, and, Still, like that—that that happened real. That was the time where I got better at sticking with communicating with the with the tablet. But several times before that, I I dropped that tablet. It was on, you know, and just talk, you know. Like it was just like, but you know, I felt bad after. I was like, yeah, so stick with it, you know. And that was one of the one of the first times that that situation happened in that I just stayed with it. And I literally, in the book where she like, she breathes and she just like tries to calm herself down. Me, really, I'm breathing, calms myself down so I can go in and, and, and communicate that in that way. And I wanted to just show that meaningful and powerful communication can come from it. Any any one of us in any way that we could type it, you could write it, you could draw it, you could do anything. And I wanted to show that in that way. And Kate did an amazing job articulating a whole lot of that. A whole lot of it. She did so good. <laughs> Congratulations. It um, is an incredible book that I know is, is going to inspire a lot of people. And where do we get a copy? 
Oh man, it's like everywhere books are sold right now. It's it's um I have a, a site, a day with no words.com and pre-order on there. But yeah, it's pretty much everywhere in local local shops, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. Everywhere. <laughs> Perfect. Um you talked about this a little bit earlier when I think parents receive any kind of diagnosis for our kids, we immediately jump to wondering about their future, asking ourselves all kinds of questions. Is my child going to be able to live independently? Will they be able to have a job? So what are some key things that employers or businesses can do to be more autism friendly, whether it's directly with autistic employees or indirectly, maybe with employees who have autistic kids or family members? I think that employers, they got to do a lot of work on all fronts, like with, with helping with the families, like coordinating with the families, as well as addressing the individual as well so there's like a lot of like programs kind of like when they get closer to being like age 18 and they're kind of like getting closer to aging out of the the school system and stuff where they have these transition programs where they they are going out into the community and they are um starting to like work and and i want to say like work and things like that i see air quotes like that it's because I feel like a lot of times these programs and these schools and things are not serious mm. and they don't feel as though this, this child, this person, this almost adult is actually going to hold a job or actually going to benefit from having a job. So they don't think they take these programs seriously. And a lot of times, I forgot what documentary it was that I watched. It wasn't that long ago. But they were talking about how employers can actually get away with paying disabled people less than and I that is infuriating. And they really can. And I think that we we need employers, we need lawmakers, we need um society in general to presume competence and we and when you do that then you are going to do everything you can to prepare that child when they're young when they're a teen they're soon to be adult in a way that will help them to develop those skills that they can get the job or do a job even if it's just a few hours a week even if it's late but at least to be like meaningful and real for them and be compensated in the way that other people are also compensated as but a lot of times it's just just gonna you know, just going to go to school um they're not really gonna actually really have a job but not really actually on the dudes so let's not really like teach of them you know so it's just like see that a lot and that's something that has to change there's a lot of what we're learning especially is that there are a lot of non-speakers who learned to communicate through spelling and we are learning a lot about what it is that they were thinking 
when they were younger and how much they knew, but they couldn't articulate the things that they knew. They couldn't tell you they knew this math. They couldn't tell you they knew these things. They couldn't tell you they knew these words, but they knew them. And they were 15 years old and still, you know, learning two plus two or something, or still reading picture books and things because teachers didn't feel like they knew or they didn't understand anything. And that is a lot of how our school systems work, how the employers think, how is, if we can change that around, we can just presume that they know, assume that they know and treat them as they know, but just accommodate for how they communicate, accommodate for the sensory needs that they have, but teach them the same types of material, teach them the same things. You know, my, my, my son is 16, but he's not a baby in a 16-year-old body. He's 16. And he likes teenager things. He just doesn't speak. He just doesn't, you know, um, his body just doesn't move in the same way as others do. do. So I think that's a that's a big challenge and a big hurdle that we have to get over. Because if we can't, if our employers feel that, you know, those like my son don't know enough to work they aren't going to treat them as if they know enough to work. And they aren't going to want to pay them as if, if you know, the, the livable wages and they aren't going to want to train them and they aren't going to want to have them have a, a decent job there. You know, you, you don't want them going to on these work field trips and just have it be like a, a, like a play thing where they're just kind of, you know, pretending to do these things and not something that they can actually probably do later on in life. That stuff. So that's one of the biggest things to change. We need to work towards changing that and changing the perceptions of what it is to be autistic and especially a non-speaking autistic person, especially someone who is like my son who is non-speaking but also has an additional diagnosis of intellectual disability, which I also feel he probably has that because he doesn't speak. And so it's like a lot of different you know, layers and stuff. I think that's what we have to do. We have to challenge these, these things. And then there's no way that we can live in a society where we're okay with paying disabled people far less than the wage and saying that that's okay. You know, and so, and and having transition programs that don't really feel like they're transitioning to anything but being more dependent on the state and more dependent on, uh, you know, their their parents and their families and who are also aging at the same that they are, and so we need, we just need to be better, and we have to do better, and we have to 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 challenge these systems, things like, like that, you know. All the time and who knows my son may live to be the rest of his life but he's gonna be as interdependent as possible <laughs> while living with me you know and 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 doing his own thing and, and making his own you know money and doing it he can you know because i feel like that's something that he can accomplish in his life too so i'm trying to get people to see
So speaking of change, a lot of times I think the most impactful change can start in our homes. So as we close out today, Tiffany, for parents of kids who are not neurodivergent, how can we raise our children to be individuals who seek to understand, welcome, and celebrate neurodivergent people and help create a world that does the same? I think it helps with um, exposing them to, to different people in the first place, whether that is um, through a really well done documentary or movie or, or book or whatever, just as many opportunities as you can to show them um, someone who is living in a different way that they are and then talking about it afterwards. And um, acknowledging their, their own privileges and the things that they have and the things that they're able uh, to do and then also looking at some of the stuff that they're not able to do themselves, like, you know, and then and making them think about, wow, should I be treated less than or differently because I can't quite do this yet or at all or whatever, you know, just thinking, taking large chunks of their lives and having them think more deeply about what it that means for them and then applying that to someone else and that's kind of like the biggest thing that I do with my platform is just trying to get people to see themselves in a little bit of something that I share and have them think more deeply and more meaningfully is it I don't know <laughs> and think more deeply about who they are and, and tapping into that. And they have to be able to see those other people. They have to be able to know those other people. They have to be able to, a lot of times we hide those like, like my oldest. And we did, we hit so long, like 10 years or so just at home because we just couldn't take the, the comments, stares, all these things. So. A lot of times they aren't exposed to, you know, uh, children like mine because there weren't that many. And even when my son would go to school, he was in school districts, no matter if it was a, in a town that only had 7,000 people or in a town that had 180,000 people, he was the only one in the school, like in the whole school. And so it's like, they don't have this, this exposure like that, but then they go into like a aquarium on weekend or the zoo when they come into contact with my child there and now they're confused. Like, why is he making all these noises? Why is he on the tablet? Why is that this? But they should learn about they should learn about how different how there's different people in the world and that it's okay and differences are just differences. They're not good, they're not bad, they're not anything, they're just neutral. And it's just a way of life and differences can be so beautiful and they should, it shouldn't be anything that needs to be feared and anything like that. But a lot of times they are because in part, they don't have a lot of exposure to those who are disabled 
they don't see them in their books they don't see them in their shows they don't see them in their anything like that they don't have any friends um that are like that and so and then a lot of times when they do come into contact with someone who is disabled and they are curious they're shushed by their parents and you know and so it's like that's like adding to it you know like you know my son will make a noise and we'll flip what's that you know and, and it was like so now he's scared more from when he wasn't scared in the first place honestly he's just curious um so it's just it's just a lot of things they need that that exposure to experiences that are outside their own or outside what's considered the norm and in any way that they can they have to have representation so they have to either act we have to actively seek out those experiences um, if we're not surrounded. So definitely, you know, watch those movies and read those books and, and, and um, you know, go on those documentaries, volunteer um, for, uh, I think they got like special Olympics and, and some other things in their area. A lot of areas have um, adaptive sports, um, things like that. So like find all these ways to, to get as close to these experiences that they do not know as possible. So that they can so they can love those things, so they can be better humans, things like that. So exactly what I was trying to do with this book and try to get them in schools. <laughs> so they think you kind of, you know, see that and, 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 you know, and learn from that and you know, hopefully hit them when they're kind of young and, and hopefully that changes you know their 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 worldview so it opens it up yeah love that thank you so much for your time today tiffany for the opportunity to learn from you and what incredible wisdom and perspective you've shared with our parent audience today it's been a pleasure thank you thank you for our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts like Tiffany through membership in the Modern Art of Parenting. Visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about memberships, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.